So we're, <coughs> excuse me. So we're carrying on in our series, looking at rooms in the house. Um, Trisha said that we're doing the kitchen today, which is quite right. We are doing the kitchen. However, I don't consider it a, a place, a hub of life. Unfortunately, I try and avoid it. But we're taking the rooms, um, sometimes in their literal sense, what we do with our rooms, but m more so that we'll look at the metaphorical sense, the rooms of our lives, that which we keep either open or locked to Jesus Christ. Well, before we start, I will just uh, apologize that Jew is not here this morning. Um, by the fact she's not feeling too good, I just couldn't, couldn't really get the lock open. It's rusted over, and so I thought I didn't want to scratch the, the chrome around my nice taps in my kitchen with trying to get the, the chains off. So I thought I'd better just leave her there anyway. So I hope you're okay. If you see her and um, she's got marks around her wrists and feet, well, maybe give her some cream. That's a little bit of a joke, I know. I haven't really locked Juliet at home. But the thing is, it's a joke which is, is somewhat distasteful, isn't it? Chained to the kitchen sink. You see, it's born out of male chauvinism that the husbands <coughs> would say to the wives, you should be in the kitchen, inferring that they shouldn't. That it is a, an inferior place to be. That menial tasks aren't for them. They are above that. It's their way of expressing superiority over someone else. Subjugation. Keeping them chained up in a place which is beneath them. But it's not the women which suffer in this image, although they do. The kitchen has been given a bad name. The kitchen is perceived to be the horrible place to be, the inferior place to be. If I was to be found in there, what would that do for my image? See, my time is far too precious to be wasting my precious time, which is more valuable than yours, doing dishes for people or cooking a meal. Somebody else should be doing that. It's a great danger for, isn't it, for us, isn't it? To think that my time is too precious to do something. See, another way of saying it is that I am elevating myself above what I perceive to be beneath me. I have much, much better things to do. But perhaps the women aren't totally innocent. Perhaps they are right to have kicked against such ungodly, unbiblical un injustice and said, no, my position is not in, uh, in the kitchen. But they, perhaps in some cases the pendulum has swung too much the other way. You see, what the men perceive to be beneath them, now the women say it's beneath them. You see, so nobody remains in the kitchen. That's the problem. If we think tasks are menial in the kitchen, and neither think it's, uh, that they're um, suitable for our environment, well then both of them are going to leave. You see, no one remains in the kitchen. Either sex, too busy, too proud, striving to pursue their own goals, to make time 
or to think about anybody else's needs. And so the kitchen still has a bad name. And the kitchen remains empty. No one really wanting to serve. You see, you wouldn't have to change somebody to something if they wanted to be there. You could just let them be there. And so the kitchen sink, where you have to scrub dirty plates, somebody else's dirty plates, is considered a place where you have to be forced to be, out of necessity. It requires a chain to be there. Well, perhaps that's symbolic of our attitude to everyday kind of service. Perhaps it is. You see, today is the kitchen where humble, everyday service happens. And so if this is our attitude, perhaps we are not occupying the kitchens as we should be. We both have a wrong view of what service is and a wrong view of ourselves, thinking that the kitchen is not worth it and we are above that menial task. And so there is a problem. We have the empty kitchen in our service, not wanting to be there. Well, secondly, actually not secondly, yeah, we don't want to go too fast, actually. We want to see that, though, that attitude that I am great and the kitchen's not, so therefore I shouldn't be there. It's been turned on his head. We've just, or Jenny has just read from Luke 22, uh, verses 25 to 30. If you've got your Bibles in front of you, then please uh, follow me with, uh, as I look at this passage. It says the king's, or Jesus says, I, uh, can I just reverse, uh, not reverse, go back just a little step to verse 24, because a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Can you see the setup now? That we have the man too great for the kitchen. But he said, and Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. Well, benefactors, I wasn't, you know, I, I sort of had a good idea what benefactors were, but I thought I'd better look it up because I'm, I'm not the brightest. But it's a title of honor given to service. And so they consider that being Lord overall, being a Gentile king, exercising authority, lording it, is an expression of honor. It's a symbol of greatness. Essentially, the Gentile kings were bossy people. They felt they had the position to exercise, and they abused that position, thinking they were great. We all know bossy people. Perhaps we're one of them ourselves. But Jesus says we are to be different because we are different. He says, but not so with you. You're not to do the same thing. No matter what position you may hold, how important you are regarded, assume the position of humility. Assume the attitude of humility. Giving up our own claims of honor and importance. 
And instead, he says, consider yourself as the youngest, those really without rights or any say. Who is the greater, Jesus asks then? You see, he doesn't deny that it is the person reclining at the table. That is a position of authority and honour. Jesus asks, doesn't he? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Well, the answer is yes. But then he says, then he says, but I am the one among you, uh, I am among you as the one who serves. See, Jesus doesn't deny the position of honour. But neither is Jesus weak. He himself, though, claims to be gentle and humble. The characteristics of a true servant. You see, he turns what is deemed to be a position of honour on its head. Not greatness and power as the Gentile kings, but gentle and humble like Jesus Christ. The Lord of all the universe has come down and serves. See, don't expect an invite from the overlords. They don't want to share power. Yet Jesus Christ does. He says that you may eat and drink at my table, in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. See, greatness and honor of any lasting significance is to be found in humble service. Jesus' banqueting hall is accessed via the kitchen, a place of humble, everyday service. See, when the doors are finally opened to that wonderful banqueting hall, see, will you be found in the kitchen serving one another, or will you be desperately fumbling around for your key to unlock the kitchen door? So we have a problem. Perhaps we perceive the kitchen is a bad place to be. And therefore, we haven't let Jesus in at all to our, our kitchen in our hearts and our lives. The kitchen is empty. Well, perhaps it's locked from the inside. But we are in the kitchen. We are doing work. But we've excluded Jesus. We've locked him out. We're in the kitchen, busy, serving our own interests. There's two kind of characters, similar, but, but uh, slightly different, which I feel might be the people who lock Jesus out of the kitchen. There's the ones which have the self-righteous, or as I would call, the martyr complex. And there's those who are, those who are selfish and, and see what they can get from service. Well, the martyr complex, you, you, I'm sure you know these people. I'm sure you come across them every day. They announce that they are doing good, that they are serving you. It's like they have a little trumpet in their pockets and go, do you know I'm doing good to you today? Look at me. And when things are hard and people ask you, can you help? The martyr complex will, will cause people to go, oh, oh, mm. Go on then, oh, really hard for me, but I will. You know those, those people who make a show of what they're doing. 
who make sure you know how hard it is for them. Well, in Matthew 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like uh, whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. You see, the martyr complex says, I'm more concerned about what I look like to others, how I appear, rather than what's on the inside. We announce our acts of service. We're certainly not humble. And there's those who are selfish. What can I get? It's like sidling up to the boss because you want a raise. It's like serving others so that you may be accepted, that you endorse other people's actions so that you can be included. More influence, perhaps. More kudos. What can I get? If I serve somebody else, what will I get from it? If I will not get anything from it, therefore I will not serve. Locked from the inside, this kitchen is. Serving our own interests. Well, in Philippians, actually, which we've just read, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do not do it for yourselves. Do not lock yourselves inside this kitchen doing works, but for other, uh, not for others, but for yourselves. He pleads, therefore, if you have any, any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Be like Christ, serving humbly. Well, should it matter, though? That's a question to ask. If I'm still doing good and people are benefiting from it, although I might be getting some uh, benefit myself, is that a wrong thing? Does it matter? Well, just recently we had a Bible study among, um, in the elders, and we looked at the church of Ephesus in Revelation again. You see, God knew of their works. Jesus knew. And he sort of commended them for them. However, you see, there was a problem with Ephesus that they had lost their first love. Their works were external. They had become, or they were becoming, whitewashed tombs. What they were left doing was just mere religion. Doing the works. Doing the works without any love for Jesus Christ or for one another. And Jesus warns them, I am going to remove your lampstand if you continue like that. And so it does matter if we, lock, if we do good works but lock Jesus out of them. You see, we already read that if you are locking Jesus out, if you're caring for appearance, you're like a whitewashed tomb. You might appear lovely from the outside. People might appreciate you even. Yet you're full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Unfit, therefore, for God's presence. Jesus' salvation doesn't matter a jot to you if you're acting like a whitewashed tomb. We can either, therefore, keep the kitchen empty, it's beneath us. We can lock Jesus out of our kitchen. Or thirdly, we can consider Jesus an unwelcome master. 
which I call the Downton Abbey Disorder. Uh, quick show of hands, who watches Downton Abbey when it's on? Okay, quick show of hands, who knows what Downton Abbey is all about? Okay, set in the turn of the last century, there was a master, Lord Grantham, of the, of the house and the manor, with servants downstairs. So toffs at the bottom, plebs at the bottom. Uh, toffs at the top, plebs at the bottom. So we have servants and masters, you see. The thing is, it's, it forms a begrudging attitude to your service to the master. Because there's separation. There's a place for the master of the house and there's a place for the servants. And you shouldn't mix the two. You should see the episodes when one of the, one of the family come downstairs and actually looks around into the scullery. <gasps> the intake of breath as they see the master come down. How, wha, you know, how is Lord Grantham in our presence? It's because they're shocked because of the separation. We start to begrudge somebody who gives us orders. You see, it's like we have the kitchen, we are serving others, yet the door is still locked, but there's a row of those bells which ring for service. And we see God is saying, no, do this, do, 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 do. do that, do, 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 do. and we have to obey our master in that way. Yet there was a massive gasp of breath when our Lord God himself came down to serve us. Our master has entered our domain. You see, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Therefore, to consider God as somebody outside of the room, of which gives orders via a bell service, is wrong. He is not telling us, do this, do that. He has shown us, he has come down to be one of us. And so in Jesus Christ, we have the greatest servant of all time. In Jesus, we have the wrong view corrected. You see, God has no desire or no need for minions, worthless slaves. He doesn't need his ego massaged to know that he has lots of little people running after him and for him. You see, he isn't lacking in anything. So we just need to look to Jesus to get the right view. Well, the word service... Uh, well, the Greek form is uh, uh, diakonos. And that's where we get um, our word deacon from. And if you look that up in any good commentary or, or Greek um, uh, dictionary, you'll find that it's, it talks about supplying food and the necessities of life. It talks about attending to anything that may serve another's interest not your own. And so it's interesting, isn't it, that the word diakonos, which we get the word deacon, is used, because I'm not pointing a finger, but it's funny, isn't it, how we have easily dropped the word deacon. Well, I say it's not easy. Because I understand how words 
bring associations with them, both positive and negative. But when we think of the word deacon, we might think in terms of, well, in a wrong way. But Jesus Christ is described as a deacon. Christ is a deacon. It's the word deacon, to serve, is associated with divine kingship. Service, therefore, is kingly. Service is being Christ-like, like the king. See, Jesus shows on many occasions what it's like to serve one another. And that's not a surprise, is it, really? Because as service, it's not such as the things that we do, but it's the attitude and frame of mind that we hold. See, when servitude is part of our character, it will just show up when we have in forms of compassion for one another and in the things that we do. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is Christ's character. See, Jesus' ministry involved the menial. He washed his disciples' feet. It also involved the cosmic proportions. He died for us. He died for the whole world. But he attended to us. And he served what was in our interest. He humbled himself. He humbled himself to even death on the cross. So what does it mean therefore for us to serve? Well, first of all, we must receive Jesus, the servant, as our servant. As our servant, we must allow him to wash us clean of sin. That we must allow him to serve us and to clothe us in his righteousness so that we can stand before God that we may be known as right before him. And we cannot do that unless, first of all, we allow him to serve us. But to recognize that when we do, we also recognize him as our master. We accept him as our servant savior, and we accept him as our servant king. He is, as the series states, to be Lord of the house. That's every room that we have. Our series verse says, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's from John's Gospel. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, love him dearly, and we will come to him and make our home with him. See, if we have an empty kitchen, for whatever reason, we should reflect on this. That if it is not evident that we're in the kitchen, then perhaps he's not either. It might be the case that Jesus and his Father hasn't come yet. That they haven't come up and taken residence in your home. If we are busy in the kitchen, but our reason for serving is for our own gain, then we should listen out to those warning bells. In fact, that huge alarm 
that highlights that we're just practicing just mere religion. Concerned for what's on the outside and not what's on the inside. But we've been told time and again, religion can't save you. There's only one saviour, and that is Jesus. He is the only one who can save you, not by what you do, but by first of all going to the servant saviour. See, understanding that works and service count for nothing. Uh, Works and service count for nothing if we don't have Jesus in our lives. If Jesus is not in our home, if we've persistently locked him out, and our preference is for appearance, or to serve him begrudgingly because we think he's the wrong kind of master, with no evidence of love as a motivation, then the salvation that Jesus offers is of no use to us. Yet if we love, if we love our servant saviour and recognise that he is a good master and are willing to follow and obey, then we must push on, giving him greater access to our kitchen, the room of humble, everyday service. Just to finish then, we'll, we'll just consider what that actually means. What does it look like? Our saviour, to our saviour, it means that he had to die on a cross, which is quite a great service. Well, for some of us, it may well be that we have to die for another. But for most of us, it does look more like humble, everyday service. You see, well, first of all then, let's have a look at that. First of all, it's, it's humble. The kind of service that we do is humble. We are not to announce to everybody or to show off that we are doing things for their sakes and my detriment. I'm not to say that I am being poured out, so bless you, brother, but recognize that I have this big badge which says so. Simple service, doing kingly duties. Whether it's supplying a loaf of bread, doing some shopping, wiping tables. You see, they don't go unnoticed by the Lord. You see, through your works of service, you're showing to everyone else your confidence in him. See, to clean someone's home, to babysit, to provide lists, to sit by the sick person's bedside, to wipe the spittle away from their mouth. You see, these acts even when they may be costly or inconvenient to you, shows that you've already everything in Jesus Christ and that you're looking forward to the assured hope and that promised reward to recline at the true king's table. See, not only are we to minister practical needs, but there are spiritual needs also. You see, in Romans, just one example of money. In Romans 14, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Service is meeting anybody's need at any point, whether it's practical or spiritual. So we can serve one another in those ways. And thirdly, it's, it's not only humble, but it's every day. 
There's a book by Paul Tripp called The Broken Down House, and he says this, As a member of the body of Christ, this commitment, that is to serve, means not waiting for the church to schedule and program my life of ministry. I'm not to ask, how am I to fit in? What duties can I fulfill? It's actually to say, no, I should be looking and expressing Christ's love in service, in humble, everyday service, wherever I am, whenever I am. Looking to someone else's needs. You see, we need to have this mind among us, which is in yours in Christ Jesus. So born out of that transforming relationship as we accept Jesus, the servant saviour and the servant king. And then to be renewed in our minds, to understand, to love one another. See, it's not to be one-offs, but something that is second nature. And we must pray, because it's against our nature to love one another and to serve. Pray that the Holy Spirit then therefore will cause us to think and love like Jesus. Finally, it's a joy. You know, one of those phrases which you sometimes think, well, hang on, was that from the Bible? Or is that just everyday kind of speak? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Maybe one of those. But actually, it's there in Acts twenty thirty-five. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus Christ, the author of creation, through whom all things are made and knows us intimately, says you're going to be much happier if you give yourself. If you give of yourself rather than take, you will yourselves be happy. And remember his final words from that uh, passage in Luke. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my father assigned to me a kingdom, that you, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You and me, elevated far beyond our own status in a tith- with titles of honor and glory with, in Jesus Christ. That's what he offers us. He is not a selfish king, but he is a generous and loving king wanting to share that with us. So let's keep the door of the kitchen wide open to Christ. Look to love and serve one another. He is our servant king.